0: chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Perhaps you saw the title slide here and said, what's that all about? You know, we live in a culture that loves greatness. I mean, people will travel for days to hear a great artist or to see a great painting or to watch a great athlete, someone who excels above all else. We love greatness. And when we see it, for decades to come, we seem to fit it into almost every conversation. Well, you know, when I was 14 years old, we went down to Indianapolis and watched a basketball game. And that Michigan State team, they won the national title. And we stopped to get something to eat before we headed north to Lansing, and in comes the basketball team. There they were, Magic Johnson, all of the would-be greats on the TV, and, and we like to talk about our connection with greatness. Oh, we love greatness. We seek it, and if we can't be it, we follow those who are in our own eyes you ever notice that the lack of greatness is is the case in the church? I mean, I went to Moody Bible Institute, you know, to study the Bible, and and what I found is there's just a bunch of ordinary people there. No exceptional people, no doing miracles in the dorm rooms. I mean, nobody was Moses or Paul or anyone else. They were just, just like me. Nobody exceptional. Went to seminary. You wouldn't believe what I found there. The very same thing. Ordinary people. Greatness? Not here in my church. It's not the point. It's not the point. Today we're going to notice three truths about God making choices about greatness. Greatness here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. in this truth, these truths that we are in, to encounter here today ought to set you free. Stuff that holds you back from getting involved with ministry, with trying something new, with, yeah, but I'm not that great at that. We use that term a lot. I have a friend I grew up with that I stay in contact with. And... Uh, He's a, a leader at his church. And, and every Saturday evening, we Zoom together and we talk about what's going to happen the next day. And I took him through this sermon. And his jaw just dropped. And I hope that what he realized, you realize here this morning. Father in heaven, God, we ask your spirit to work mightily in our lives today. Open our eyes Help us, God, to understand, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. First and foremost, my friends, we ought not to look for greatness in the church. Great people, just because they were on the radio or on the TV or they went to the conference doesn't mean they're great. Moses, you know what was great about Moses? Moses. Oh, look at all the miracles. Really? What miracle did Moses do? God told him, put your staff in the Red Sea and it turned to blood. Did Moses do that? He didn't. I think that was the river, not the sea. God told him to do something. You know what he did? He did it. And great things happened. We get caught in this. There are great people and then there's just us. I'll tell you what, friends, that's all there really is, is just us. You see, God has chosen us to follow him, not others. Notice here in verse 1, Paul addressing this church, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You see, following the truth, committed committed to the truth is what brings unity. This room is filled with all kinds of different people from all kinds of different places and all kinds of different ideas. Some of you are even Chicago Bears fans. Go Lions. (laughs) The thing that brings us together is the Lord and his word and our commitment to it. But that wasn't the case here in Corinth. You see, in verse 11 through 13, we notice that uh, they were following men instead of God and it divided them. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is a there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean here in verse 12, he says that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Or I follow Cephas. Or I follow Christ. And Paul says, is Christ divided? No, sir. No, sir. You see, following man divides us. And what sense is it to follow a man anyway? What sense is it? Look at what Paul says in response to this. He says, was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius and So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And then Paul wrote, oh, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. But beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. But it ain't about me. It's about Jesus. Now we look back and see the great work that God did through the apostle Paul and the great things he endured. And we want to say, look at how great he is. What we ought to say is, look at how great His God is. To take someone that chased the church and tried to arrest them and kill them, and God just just changed his life completely. The glory goes to God in that, doesn't it? It ought to. It ought to. No sense in following a man. I'll tell you when I. I became a new believer. I was trusting Christ, reading the Bible. I went to Moody Bible Institute to try and figure this complicated book out. You know, what are all these things, these names I can't pronounce? And and it was there that God led me to be a pastor. And, And I'll tell you what, I wanted to be like Apollos. Because in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 and 25, this is what the Word of God says to describe Apollos. He says, now a, um, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Oh, and he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, chasing greatness, my friends. When the only thing we ought to be chastened is faithfulness, what is God asking you to do? Do it. That's where the greatness happens when we trust Him and God's power shows up faithfulness. So God has chosen us to follow Him and not follow others. But you know what? Not only that, God chose a message. It's as if God says, you know what? We're going to look at the, the, the least common thing we can find, the most ordinary that we can come up with, and that's who I'm going to use. The greatest qualification for ministry, it seems, at least in this chapter, is this. You ain't, uh, you ain't anything special. How's that for a qualification? I mean, think of the message of the gospel. God shows a message that sounds like foolishness to the world. I mean, couldn't God come up with something a little more clever than just the cross? Now, you and I know better. But notice here in verse uh, uh, verse 17. Christ didn't send me into the world to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. You see, that was a big, big deal to the people in Corinth. Oh, they had people traveling from all over their world, coming to speak with eloquence and listen to me. Oh. Paul says, no, God called me to preach the gospel. That's it. And what's the gospel? It's the cross, my friends. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Look at that. God didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And again, not confusing it with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, the crucifixion was was shameful. It was a shameful topic. In their culture, people talked about the shame of the cross. Wait, that's our message? (laughs) The whole world thinks it's you know, a crazy thing to talk. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. Yeah, let's pick that message. Apparently, that's God's design. Let's talk about that which seems foolish to everyone else. Look at what he says here in verse 18. For the word of the cross is is foolish, it's folly, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discernment of the discerning and I will th- that I will thwart. And where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe and where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And that's the whole plan. Take something that just sounds foolish and change the world. And so there's the message. Look at verse 21. You see, we see the crucifixion was a shameful topic. The cross was thought to be foolishness by the lost. But it was the cross that destroyed this wisdom of the world. And it is the cross that made possible our salvation. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Can't know God through studies. No, not going to happen. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The cross, talking about the death of Christ on the cross. He died in our place. He died for our sin, and then he rose from the dead. That is the message that has changed the world. But you'll notice here in verse 22, the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then to top it off, just to make it clear, he not only gave us this this shameful message to preach, God chose to use ordinary people to preach it. And look at what God says here. Look at at how God uses Paul to record this. He says, "For for consider your calling. Let's go ahead and take a look inside for just a moment. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now you'll note it says not many. It doesn't say not any. Everybody likes that exception, don't we? God's plan was to choose the ordinary in order to do extraordinary things through them. You see, God chose unexceptional people. And he chose these unexceptional ordinary people in order to shame the wise. Verse 27, but God chose... What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Turning the world upside down with the preaching of the gospel. And you know why God did it? You know why God chose ordinary people like me and like you? So that we can't boast. And if we're going to boast, we're going to boast about him. Look, that's what Paul writes here. Verse 28, God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If something great has happened in your own personal ministry, hear me when I say this. It wasn't you. It was God using people like us. Hear me when I say this. You're not supposed to be great. He is. You're just supposed to be faithful. That's it. Look at that. So much for worrying about, well, what if I can? What if I... You remember Moses, that fellow, when God called him, he said, Oh, I'm not very good at talking to people. <laughs> I kind of stutter some sometimes and, and I forget words and I. <laughs> and yet look at how the Lord used him. Someone who was faithful. Faithful. So hear me when I say this, my friends. Hear me when I say this. God chose the ordinary so that he will get the glory for his extraordinary use of people like you and me. How great is that? How wonderful is that? You don't have to be great. You just have to be faithful to what God has called you to do. That's where the greatness steps in. So you don't have to be great. You just have to be faithful. Faithful in the proclaiming of the gospel. You know what the gospel is. The gospel by which we are saved, say it with me, is this. Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. Where do we get that from anyway? first corinthians 15 one place in the new testament that takes time to clearly define what the gospel is he died in our place a substitutionary atonement he paid the penalty for your sin and my sin by dying in our place and he rose from the dead victorious and what does he ask you to do How much painting of towers must you do? How much walking and talking and serving? And he simply asks you to trust him. You know the truth? Do we accept it as true? Good, that ain't enough. Absolute dependence upon it, which always demonstrates itself. Faith always shows itself in action. When faith is at work, people will see it. Put your trust in Him. And when He calls you to act, be faithful. You're free. You catch that? You're free. You don't have to be great at it, you don't have to be great at anything. You simply must be faithful. And God will use you in ways that you cannot possibly imagine. I connected with a friend I haven't seen in 46 years recently. He says, so I hear you're a pastor, huh? I said, yeah, surprising, huh? Remember when I told my dad I wanted to go to the Moody Bible Institute, Christian college? He says, well, you're the last person I ever thought would go to a <laughs> Christian A lot of encouragement there. God changed my life just like he changed yours. Who knows what he can do with you if you'll just be faithful to what he says to do. Father, help us. Father, we like this truth and we nod our heads and we say, that's really nice. But You've called us to action. You've given us our, your word, not just for us to appreciate it, but to obey it. So, Father, help us even now to take a good hard look inside. No doubt, the Spirit of God has already been making it clear what you would have us to do. Father, even now, I pray that your Spirit will weigh heavy on us to know what it is we must do until we do it, until we take that first step. We know we will serve you by your power and not ours. You are the greatness, not us. Help us, God, to be faithful, for we are not able, in Jesus' name.